0: and Bible Time podcast. For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's Word. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, courses, and more. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about how we long for control. I think it's safe to say that a lot of people strongly desire control and control issues can cover a multitude of topics, relationships, and jobs and control over your kids. And the list could just go on and on. We really just crave control and self-sufficiency. But wanting to constantly be in control can leave us hurting, drained, and anxious. Our guest today, Sharon Hottie Miller, author of the new book, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises, will be talking about our relationship with control and why our culture is chronically anxious. And Most importantly, she will talk about the real power God has given us in Jesus to exercise influence over ourselves and our lives. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, is your church group looking for a new turnkey program that you can quickly and easily put in place? Well, we have just the opportunity for you. Coffee and Bible Time has created two new teaching courses on how to pray using our prayer journal and how to pray using our prayer binder. We modeled these teaching courses after a live event that we conducted for a group of 100 women and girls in Austin, Texas. Unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, this cut off our ability to do live teaching. But the blessing that came out of that time was that we now have available video teaching that can be utilized by anyone, anywhere, at any time. In one course, Ashley teaches how to pray using the prayer journal, and in the other course, Mentor Mama teaches how to pray using the prayer binder. All you need to do to implement a program like the one we conducted live in Texas is to purchase one of our video teaching courses along with the number of either prayer journals or prayer binders for each participant in your group. This program is ideal for moms groups, women's ministry events, young adults groups, middle school and high school groups, or even small groups. And for a limited time, we have a special offer for our podcast listeners. Buy either nine prayer journals or prayer binders and get the 10th one free using the promo code podcast on our website at coffeeandbibletime.com. Sharon Hottie Miller, Ph.D., is a teaching pastor at Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, which she co-founded with her husband, Ike. The author of Free of Me and Nice, Miller has blogged at SheWorshipS.com for over 10 years, has been a regular contributor to Propel, Hermeneutics, and She Reads Truth, She's also written for Relevant, Christian Today, Encourage, and many other publications and blogs. She lives with Ike and their three children in Durham, North Carolina. Please welcome Sharon. Hi. Hi, Sharon. Oh, it's so nice to meet
1: you nice to meet you too I could just listen to you forever you have such a soothing voice oh wow thank you so much I want to like call you at bedtime and like have you talk to me
0: oh hey anytime okay um I had a just a fun little brief chat here with Sharon before we dove into the podcast. And it was just so exciting to meet her knowing that she studied at Trinity, which is just in one of the suburbs of where I live here in the Chicagoland area, which is a phenomenal institution. And I'm just so excited you're here. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: I'm excited.
0: So the pandemic... It just brought on a new level of anxiety for everyone. Mm -hmm. Tell us more specifically how it impacted you and your Mm -hmm. church and sort of how the whole idea for this book came about.
1: Yeah, so the pandemic, what we saw in the pandemic was a lot of people responding with anxiety. It made us feel like the world was out of control. You know, suddenly everything felt unpredictable, uncertain. And whenever something difficult comes into our lives and we respond with anxiety or fear, our tendency is to blame the thing. And to say, this is why I'm feeling this way. And to some extent that is true, but trials, challenges, they actually also have a way of revealing just what was already there inside of us. And that definitely happened for me. So when the pandemic first hit, like a lot of people, I was Responded by getting on the internet all the time, <laughs> constantly, you know, researching and, tr- you know, reading news stories locally. You know what's going on locally with the numbers. What what do we know about this new virus and how it affects us? You know, constantly taking my temperature, anything that I could do to assert some sort of sense of predictability over this suddenly uncertain world. But I was also feeling really out of control in my own home life because I have, as you mentioned, three young children. My oldest is about to turn 10 and my youngest right now is four, but at the time she had just turned two. And so they're little as well. Mm -hmm. And I am someone who genuinely, I believe the ability to teach children is a spiritual gift and it is one that I do not possess. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, suddenly we're trying to homeschool and we're also, our church at the time was only a year and a half old. We had just planted a church a year and a half prior. So we're trying to lead our church and we're trying to lead our children and lead our family. And it just was chaos in our house. And our children are very loud. We don't have any quiet children in our house for some reason. (laughs) And so our house was loud all the time. And so the way that I'm trying to exert control over my kids was basically, if you're going to be loud, I can be louder. And so I'm just, you know, basically yelling at my kids all the time, trying to get them to listen to me, which means I'm also, you know, apologizing to them all the time as well. And so I'm seeing all of this junk come up. I'm seeing the people in our church, the people on social media who are also grappling with the loss of control as well in in different ways and bad ways. But it's it's all we're trying to get a, a grasp on it in different ways. And as I'm watching this and watching how badly I'm responding to this, my loss of control reflex, I I think, you know, okay, I shouldn't do this. Like I shouldn't try to control something that I couldn't control. This is a control response. But for most of my Christian life, I've basically known, okay, well, you should just surrender. You know, when, when you're trying to control something you can't control, you should just let go, you know, and, and give it back to God. And that, that inclination to control is, is pride or sin, And that is true, actually. All of that is is true, that when you're trying to control something, you you should surrender. You should let it go to God. But I'll also tell you, in the thick of it, that was not helpful. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That was not helpful.
1: Yeah, to just know I'm trying to control this thing that I can't control and I need to stop. I need to hand it over to God. It just wasn't helpful to me. And so I'm someone who I, when I realized this, this isn't working, like it's not helpful. The way I'm thinking about this isn't motivating me to do the thing that I should do. I tried to come at it a different way and look at it differently. And through that process, just coming to grips with the truth that it's not just that we shouldn't control things. It's not just that we can't control things but that it actually costs us when we try. And this is something that we see in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, you know, reach for more knowledge than God has granted them when they reach for, you know, this godlike status. And then the immediate aftermath of that is anxiety, shame, division. Those are all the costs of control. And when sin entered the world, it kind of wrote that formula into the universe that any time we try to control something that we cannot control, that God has not given us to control, we reenact that moment in Genesis 3, but we also reenact its consequences. And that for me was very clarifying to realize Okay, in this moment where maybe I'm trying to control my husband, you know, by pressuring him, coercing him, manipulating him, whatever, like I can, I know how to get my husband to do what I want him to do. You know, I think a a lot of wives do. And so I can keep doing that and I can get him to make the quote unquote right decision that I think he should make. But it is going to cost my marriage. It is going to cost our relationship, our intimacy, our trust. And I might not even see that today. I might not see it tomorrow. I might not see it for five to 10 years, but but to understand those are the stakes. And that was really motivating for me. (laughs) But it also was motivating just realizing one of the number one costs Of control is anxiety in yourself. And we all experience this in so many different ways. You experience it in really low stakes ways, like when you're trying to. You know, you get online because that package that was supposed to arrive today hasn't arrived yet. And so you open up the shipping info and you click refresh and you see that it hasn't moved. And then you click refresh again. And going to that, we go to that well thinking that it's going to give us a sense of certainty or predictability that will make us feel more in control. But when we click refresh and that package has not stinking moved we're just left right where we started, except we've kind of fed that anxiety monster. And so anytime we try to control something that we cannot control, it creates anxiety in us. And we experience that in higher stakes ways with people that we love that are making destructive decisions, especially if it's your kids. And I know your kids are are more grown. And so, you know, when you see them making decisions that you don't want them to make, and unfortunately, when your kids are adults, you can't control them. You can't make them make the decisions you want them to make. And if you try the anxiety that you feel, I think we mistakenly think, well, it's because of the situation and it is sort of, but it's also because you're trying to control something God has not given you control over and it's going to cost your mental health and it's going to cost your relationship with them in the process. And so that, that was so helpful for me to understand that this is a devil's deal, literally. Every time we go to this, it is a devil's deal. And that helped me to finally let go. I didn't want to pay that cost.
0: Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our In-Depth Bible Study Academy. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Yes, and there definitely are so many ramifications even when if we feel like we are getting our way with control right yes might not always have the best outcomes or it might not have been god's will and yeah
1: well and that's the thing that is really tricky is i have a whole chapter called the illusion of control and That phrase, I had used that phrase before, but once I started researching for this book, realizing that that phrase, the illusion of control is actually a psychological term that was coined in the 70s by a researcher who discovered this really common human tendency to believe that we have control over situations that we have no control over whatsoever and so like funny examples they've done studies of casino players that will roll their dice hard when they want a high number or soft when they want a low number and that doesn't do anything yeah (laughs) But we do this in so many different ways, you know, the the basketball players that will wear the same socks during the playoffs, you know, these are all illusions of control. But the really fascinating thing about it is that it actually does work for a while that they, these further studies have shown that when you feel like you're in control of a situation, whether or not you are, that you actually do feel better. It actually does lower your anxiety and it lowers your depression. The problem is that is only temporary. So you can experience success and control. You can make your kids do things for a time. You can make your spouse do things for a time, but not forever. And when that illusion is shattered, that's when you finally meet the fallout, the cost of control.
0: Yeah. It's, your mention of that just reminds me of the scene in my big Fat Greek wedding where she said, my husband may be the head, but the wife turns the neck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I am. That, uh-huh. that is such a, a worldly way of thinking of things. Mm-hmm. Um You discuss the act of naming Mm -hmm. and refer to it throughout the book.
1: Tell Mm -hmm. us why naming
0: is so important.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, two reasons. The first is that naming is just a really important Christian practice, actually, that we name things correctly. And we see this in Genesis 1 and 2, where one of the first things that God does is name and, and orders And then he commissions Adam into that work. And one of the first things that God names is light. And because of that very early connection between naming and light, we experience whenever we name something correctly, we bring it into the light. And that's so important. Medically, we experience this where if you have the wrong diagnosis and you've named the sickness incorrectly, then you're going to treat the sickness incorrectly. And so we experience it in mental health, you know, when you finally have someone who says, well, actually what you're experiencing is postpartum depression, you know, what you're, what you've been feeling, naming that is just so clarifying. And so I structured the book basically almost the entire book is devoted to understanding control and all its dynamics and naming that accurately because we tend to rush past, you know, so much of what we're feeling and just say, oh, it's because of sin or it was the pandemic or whatever it was. And we name it incorrectly. And so we're not healing it correctly because of that. And so I really wanted to take my time sort of biopsying control really thoroughly before I don't get to the solution till the very end of the book. And so that's the first reason. But the second reason is that, and and this is where the whole book goes towards, is that God gave us control, doesn't, doesn't give us control, but he does give us agency. He gives us this influence with limitations, this power with limitations. And we see that in Genesis one and two, and this plays out in a lot of different ways where Adam and Eve, they, they have power, but they don't have control over the garden, but God empowers them to do a lot of things. And one of the things that God empowers them to do is to name and to order. And so instead of trying to control the chaos around us, instead of trying to control the brokenness around us, one of the ways that we exercise agency over our lives is by taking the time to Name and to order what is going on around us. And so the book is structured that way to really model that in a lot of ways. But then at the end, get to that final section where I say, all this naming that we've been doing, all this time we've spent understanding this correctly is also a really powerful form of agency in our lives.
0: That's absolutely fascinating. And I don't think something that a lot of people have given. A lot of thought to but it's mm-hmm. it's it is absolutely fascinating
1: mm-hmm.
0: tell us how or what is the definition of control and how does uncertainty impact
1: it mm-hmm. yeah so control there's actually two components of control So on one level, there is the power that we want to exert, you know, impose our will on our circumstances and on the people around us. And so that is very often what we think of when we're talking about like a controlling person is someone who's able to you know, force people around them to do certain things or tries at the very least. But there's another component of control that I think is actually much more often what we're really talking about. And that is simply the feeling of being in control. And again, that can be completely disconnected from reality. You you don't necessarily have to be in control to feel in control. Those are two very different things. And Very often, what we're after is that feeling. That's what we're after. And we are unfortunately catered to, our our technology caters to that feeling. It just caters to, and you'd asked about uncertainty. We as a human race just don't tolerate uncertainty very well. And you could see that in our response to the pandemic. And technology just caters to that in so many different ways because we have so many apps, you know, our smartphones cater to telling us, you know, here's what the weather is going to be. Here is when your package is going to arrive. Um, you know, here's is what is happening in, you know, the news right now. Here's what is likely to happen in this election. You know, there's so many ways that technology is just catering to that, That intolerance to uncertainty and saying, here's how you can predict, here's how you can be certain. And it, like any illusion of control, it makes us feel wonderful in the interim, knowing what is going to happen, thinking we're knowing what's going to happen is a great feeling, But then what happens occasionally is there's this market correction where the world restores to what it really is. And that is what we experience in the pandemic. It's not as if we lived in a world where pandemics never happened. You know, we we read about them (laughs) throughout the Bible. And so what happened with the pandemic is it's not that the world suddenly became unpredictable. It's that the illusion of predictability was shattered and because so many christians had been retreating into this illusion for so long our our spiritual muscles of of faith and and trust and you know our spiritual capacity to live in a broken world had basically atrophied because we've we've been re- so reliant on technology to shield us from those things
0: yes i remember feeling that way truly like so specifically like wow this is something that is like out of control of even mm-hmm. the whole world you know when it first mm-hmm. got started and never it just wasn't figured out yet and mm-hmm. it, it felt it did feel very very overwhelming well aside from the pandemic why mm-hmm. do you think our culture is you know just in general conically anxious
1: yeah well, there's a lot of different reasons for that. That's a it's a complicated answer. There's been a lot of studies showing that our cultures spike in anxiety. It coincided with the introduction of the smartphone. And so there's a lot to unpack there in terms of all that the smartphone is doing to our mental health, you know, I think the constantly being connected, but disconnected in, in ways that are real, you know, but constantly being connected to the, you know, toxic influence of social media, you know, being overwhelmed by the news, all of that. There, there's a, a lot of different ways that the smartphone is overwhelming us and creating anxiety. But another really simple answer is just what I was saying. Anytime you try to control something that you cannot control, it creates anxiety in you. And so every time we pick up our phones, expecting it to give us certainty, expecting it to give us you know, predictability... It is no coincidence that for many of us, the logo on our phones is a bitten apple. It's a bitten piece of fruit. We're going to that tree again and again, asking this knowledge to empower us and to give us peace and to give us security and to give us stability. And we don't think of it that way, but it comes out in really funny ways. It's it's not even always really serious, like just to give you an example of, of how I could see how my relationship with my phone was really unhealthy is, I think it was last year at my son's birthday party, we were having, it was a pool party and I've been checking the weather all day and it had been saying, sunny, 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 you know, "No, no clouds, nothing. And so I was excited, happy, party's gonna go great. Well then right around the time, the party is starting, I notice on the horizon, these dark clouds and the storm is coming. And then suddenly I check my app and it says 70% oh. chance of thunderstorm. <laughs> mm. And in that moment, I get so angry at my weather app, meteorologists generally, you mm-hmm. know, I'm like cursing my phone, like Meteorologist, is this even a real science? You know, I'm just like yelling at my phone because I'm expecting my phone to give me this godlike, infallible prediction about the weather, and it had failed. Yep. <laughs> and then because it had failed, because it did not give me the predictability and the certainty that I assumed it could, then I'm just bitter towards my smartphone, you know. And so again, that's a very like silly example. It's a very low stakes, but this is happening in so many different ways where we are going, we're bringing our control issues to the internet instead of to God. And a big symptom of that is that we constantly feel anxious. We're trying to control something that we cannot control.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking from my own perspective now as my daughter's planning on getting married in 2 months and it just i i start to feel anxious because i i want all these things mm-hmm. to go right and, mm-hmm. and well and mm-hmm. and it's a, con- exactly that control and
1: mm-hmm.
0: fear of the future and oh my goodness yeah
1: and in that moment it's like you your brain says i'm anxious because of all this that's happening, but really you're anxious because you're trying to control something that you can't control.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's such
1: an important distinction. It's such an important distinction.
0: Yes, I love that. That's, I think that's like a key point of this whole -hmm. whole podcast for a takeaway. You already know that we at Coffee and Bible Times strive to help people delight in God's word. That's why we love Alabaster and their inspiring Bibles. In addition to the visually appealing design, these Bibles are an engaging way to delve deep into God's Word. You can purchase books of the Bible individually or in bundles. Either way, your faith is sure to flourish. Alabaster Company has perfectly designed an intersection of creativity beauty and faith in each and every book use our promo code cbtpromo or find our link below to get 10 percent off your order and let's experience God's beauty together mm-hmm. well you say in the book that God didn't give us control but he did give us the power to influence ourselves as you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. our circumstances and others so tell us a little bit more about mm-hmm. that
1: yeah. So one of the questions that I get a lot is, well, when I'm feeling out of control and I want to control, you know, what should I do instead? And I I realize that even that question is a little bit of a control it question, you know? <laughs> and so I want to say kind of spoiler alert, this isn't the like you know, cure all for in that moment, here's what to do instead to fix it. Because that's what we want is how do I, if I can't control it, but I, I still want to fix it, how do I fix it? And I, I think it's important to identify that still as as that question is, is about control. But one of the things that I wanted to do in the book is, you know, I I spend the majority of the book looking at Genesis 3 and what happened in that moment when Adam and Eve reached for control and how that became a blueprint for all of humanity and history. But in the final section of the book, I go back to Genesis 1 and 2, where, as I mentioned before, Adam and Eve are not in control of the garden, but they're not puppets. They're not robots. They're not slaves. They are empowered and they have influence and they also have freedom. They don't have absolute freedom, but they do have freedom and they have peace and what I call that, that power is, is agency, you know, this ability to influence yourself and to influence circumstances around you, but it, it's not an absolute influence. It's not a, if I do this and this will happen, like we just don't have that power in this world, but looking at the different forms of agency, the different forms of influence that God gives, and I already mentioned naming and, and ordering and what powerful forms of agency those are. Just to go back to the, you know, situation I described being at home where I'm trying to overpower my kids with my the volume of my voice. And one of the things that I realized that we needed to instill order, I couldn't control my kids, but to instill order in our home was a schedule. And so I couldn't cowl them down with the volume of my voice, but I could order our home better. You know I could have a schedule so that they could know what to anticipate and we could have a rhythm. And so that was really, really helpful. Another practice that we see in Scripture that I've, I've mentioned many, many times is the power to restore our limitations. So Adam and Eve, they don't have unlimited freedom. They can't do whatever they want. God says there's this tree, do not eat of this tree. And so he gives them boundaries because that is actually essential to our our freedom. We think of freedom as unlimited, you know, no boundaries at all, but that is not what we see in Genesis 1. Freedom actually comes from the right boundaries. And so it's important for us to consider, maybe I feel out of control. Maybe I feel anxious and overwhelmed because I am on my phone too much. I am constantly watching the news or I have my TV turned on to whatever news channel all the time. And that is actually why you feel out of control. That is why you feel anxious all the time. And so another way you can restore your agency is through or yes, restoring, exercise your agency is through restoring your limits. By making the choice, I'm gonna decrease how much time I'm spending on my phone or on on the news or ingesting news information. So there's a bunch of forms of agency that we see in Genesis one and two. And when we we put down control and pick up agency, it really empowers us.
0: It sure does. That reminds me of a time where, my daughter, Taylor, she was just a handful when she was younger. And I had a friend at our church who just was giving me some advice and was telling me how children actually do thrive on boundaries. Mm-hmm. And once I was able to establish those with her, things just improved dramatically. And so it, it, is, it is, feels kind of like the opposite like you were saying that mm-hmm. put a boundary would make them even madder or more frustrated, mm-hmm. but in actuality, it truly is what they need.
1: hmm
0: Well, what are some of the ways that we can identify if our habits are out of
1: control? hmm Yeah. So <laughs> another form of agency that we see in Genesis one, two, and three. And and this is something that we don't think of as a big action verb. This isn't something that we think of as a form of power even, but is really, really important in this conversation is the practice of self-examination. And where we see this play out is actually in Genesis three, after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit and they hide and God goes to them and he says, where are you? And that is a rhetorical question because God knows where they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not confused. He, he's, they're not lost to him. You know, mm-hmm. that is a question that he wants them to answer for themselves. And they are unable to answer that question. You know, they immediately go into blame mode and that is such an essential part of understanding why you are wrestling with control in the first place. And just to be real honest with you, I had to walk myself through that today. <laughs> After I had, a, we had a, sta- a church staff meeting and. There was a community outreach initiative with a local school that I'd been really lobbying for all summer. And there was just kind of a perfect storm of my husband being on sabbatical and the person who would be in charge of that being on vacation. And it seemed like we had so much time to do it. And then today realizing, actually, we don't, we've run out of time. And I was so frustrated and I immediately went into blame mode, like all these people that dropped the ball and I left the staff meeting and I went home and I just sat in my kitchen and I ate my lunch and I just stewed. And I was so frustrated about why, and and I was thinking it, well, if I had done it, if I'd been in charge, this wouldn't have happened, you know? And so I was having this control response to something that was outside of my control And I finally stopped and I so rarely do this. And so I I don't want to act like I'm this guru on this or that I've mastered this in some way. I still rarely do this. I had this moment where I stopped and thought my emotional response is disproportionate to what has happened. Hmm. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I looking for someone to blame? Like I, like I needed to blame somebody instead of just saying it didn't work out. You know? And so I think that emotional work, that spiritual work of pausing just to ask, why do I feel this way instead of going, well, it's because my kids are so loud, or it's because of the pandemic, or it's because of this situation, you know, that if I can control it, it would make it better. And instead pausing and asking, but you don't have to feel this way, like you don't have to respond this way. Why, why are you? And so that, that act of self-examination is a really powerful and important form of agency that God has given us.
0: Yes. And I, I applaud you for sort of taking that pause and thinking that through, you know, it reminds me too, that we just need to be cautious about um, laying out the blame right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and we all do it. We Mm -hmm. all do it. But I think. The timeout. out is a good yeah. idea. Well,
1: and it's so convicting because, you know, even with the pandemic, I, I think we all had this, you know, the world is out of control. The world is predictable. The world is coming to an end. And to just pause and, and remember God's word was handed to us by believers who lived in a much more unpredictable world. <laughs> you know, right. they were writing about contentment in all circumstances peace that transcends all understanding I mean Paul wrote that phrase from prison mm-hmm. and so we are heirs to these spiritual tools that can equip us to live in an unpredictable world it's it's not as if this is something new it's actually very very old and that was also really convicting to me <laughs> mm-hmm. <Definitely. laughs> oh yeah Okay, um,
0: Sharon, will you dig deep into how we control in the book, and Mm -hmm. give the examples of knowledge, power, money, etc. What what is the
1: most common reason why we struggle with control. So there's actually two. There's two reasons why we struggle with control. The first is sin. <laughs> you know, we, we want to, we believe our lives would be better if we were in the driver's seat. You know, it's idolatry, basically, believing in our own power, trusting in our own power over God's. But there's a second reason that has a lot more grace to it. And that is that we live in a Genesis 3 world, but we were created for Genesis 1 and 2. We were created to live in a stable, secure world. We were created for that. And whenever we long for security, whenever we long for stability, that is not sin. That is our soul Crying out for what it was created for. And God shares that grief with us. Anytime we we recognize, especially when it's with someone that we love, that we wish we could heal their brokenness. God shares that that grief. And that is exactly why He sent His Son. And so I want to say to anyone who, who wrestles with control, there are 100% going to be times where this is this is about pride. This is about you, you know, believing you know better at times. But sometimes it's just because of love. You know, you you love the person that you're wanting to help. Your, your desire to make them make the right decision is not bad. It's 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 out of love. And so I think it's important to name both of those things so that you're not shamed for wanting to care for someone and, and to name that this is very difficult and very painful at times for good reasons.
0: Yes, yes. Thank you for elaborating on that. What, tell us, what does theology have to do with control? Mm-hmm. It seems like it's not, the connection there isn't mm-hmm. always easily understood by people.
1: Yeah, so one of the chapters, so in one section, I look at the different ways that we try to control and I look at knowledge and information as kind of the original sin, basically the tree of knowledge. That's that's the first thing that we very often go to for control is we get on the internet, we research or, you know, we that that's the most subtle, but the most common, you know, power, money, these are very obvious forms of control. But another chapter in that section is about theology as a form of control. And this plays out in different ways, like theology itself can be used to control. This is really common in cults, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's what is happening there is theology is being used to control people, but. We also turn to theology to feel in control, to go back to that distinction. There's that, you know, exerting control and feeling in control. And one of the common ways that we use theology to feel in control is the prosperity gospel. So if anyone is not familiar with the prosperity gospel, it's basically this idea that you can earn favor with God and that you can win you know, prosperity in life, that that you can have the life that you want if you are just a good enough Christian and make the right choices and live the right way. And it's a very transactional relationship with God. But we see this in scripture. We see the prosperity gospel in really, really subtle ways because when we, we think of the prosperity gospel, we tend to think of these hucksters you know these swindlers on tv who are saying if you just send me money you know god's going to bless you and that is Mm -hmm. that is prosperity theology but it plays out in more common ways as well when you see where job has lost everything Mm -hmm. and his friends go to him and say what did you do wrong? How did you sin against God? Or in the New Testament with the man born blind and the disciples say to Jesus, you know, what did he do or what did his his parents do that caused this blindness? And both of them are equating this tragedy with, with sin, that you must have done something to provoke the punishment of God. But really that is prosperity theology and what both groups of men were were really trying to do was reckon with their own vulnerability in an unpredictable world, that they're looking at something hard or difficult and thinking, okay, what did they do to cause this so that I can avoid doing that so that it doesn't happen to me? and so it's really just reckoning with your your own you know vulnerability and <laughs> not not wanting that to happen to you and so that that is one way that that we use theology to feel in control is when you are and and you don't even think of it as theology but when you are you know scrolling through social media and you see a, you come across a story of a family that had this terrible tragedy befall them and you suddenly in the back of your mind think, well, maybe it's because they did this. Maybe it's because they parented this way, or they, you know, went, did, made this decision that they shouldn't have made. And I would never do that. And and it makes you feel safer, but that is all really about control. Because when we look at scripture, even though Proverbs is full of wisdom about how to flourish and how to, you know, make wise choices for, you know, the good of yourself and your family. Ecclesiastes is all about why do the wicked prosper? You know, why, why are the righteous punished? And so we don't see this really neat and tidy, if you live this way, you will get this life formula in scripture. And so in whatever capacity, we find ourselves falling into that thinking like a really popular secular form of this is the really popular language around manifesting that I can manifest my dreams and you know, my destiny into the world. It's the same exact thing. It is giving us this illusion of control that we we don't actually have and ends up feeling really cruel when things fall apart because then you're wondering, what did I did do wrong? What, what should I have done differently? And sometimes you didn't do anything. You just live in a broken world. Right.
0: And that's so important to reflect on mm-hmm. that. Cause it, once again, it's falling into this sort of blame, like mm-hmm. or what, what's the reason or mm-hmm. yes. Oh, that can be so so dangerous Mm
1: -hmm.
0: well you say that whenever we reach for control to save us it always comes with a cost Mm -hmm. what are some of the costs of control Mm
1: -hmm. so i've already talked about anxiety is a big one and i experienced this a lot When we were leading our church through the pandemic, because everything and every, every pastor, every church leader experienced this. It was such a polarized time that every decision you made was kind of a lose, lose decision. Like you're going to disappoint people and I found myself thinking, well, if I could just explain to the people who are upset with me, this is the scripture that we are relying on. This is the theology that is guiding us. and this is, These are the experts in our church that we talk to, and this is the wise counsel that we sought. And if I can share all that with them and kind of download into their brain the facts you know, or, or the scripture or the theology or whatever, that that will cause them to change their minds and to agree with me. And that is going to knowledge and information for control. It is also an illusion. It does not work. But because I was relying on it and going to it again and again, all it did, it didn't, it didn't change anything. But it did cost me hours of sleep, laying awake at night, rehashing this, thinking, what if I said it this way? What if I said it that way? So it cost my mental health. It also costs my relationship with a lot of them. Whenever you're trying to force someone to do something, even if it's changed their mind, it really strains that relationship. And so, anxiety, you know, relational division—any any time we in, insert control into a relationship, it's going to break the relationship. That's a huge, huge cost. Um, another big one is is burnout just because we when we think that we can control our future, when we think that we can control our circumstances, that is just a recipe for striving. And then another really big one especially for women is body shame. That when we we haven't even touched on this at all, but uh, one of the chapters I get into is how we try to control our bodies. And that's another area of our lives where we can experience some success in this for a time. I, for a large portion of my life, I'm, I'm a petite person. And so, and I've, I've had no major health complications. And so in all the ways my body has submitted to me. And so I would have told you, I have a great relationship with my body. That's just because my body was cooperating. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as I have gotten older and my body has stopped cooperating, you know, my back is like this fragile baby. I have to baby my back. You know, mm-hmm. I can't sit on the floor anymore. I can't sleep a certain way or else I'm just, you know, a goner, like <laughs> major back pain. Oh. And so, you know, as you get older, it's kind of a losing battle. And if you think you're, that that your job is to make your body submit to you to defy aging that is just a recipe for turning your body into an enemy because it's not going to submit to you it won't so those are some of the the costs of control in our lives yes
0: absolutely and i that is one chapter i just really loved in your book was the one on body and shame so you, you've talked about anxiety, um, the cost of, of relational division, burnout, and body mm-hmm. shame. Those are all just, those are heavy consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And they come with a price. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us um, how can realizing and just sort of changing our views on control mm-hmm. help with the burnout Part mm-hmm. that you were referring to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just realizing this is not going to give you the outcome that you think that it will. That whenever we try to engineer outcomes, whenever we, you know, turn to control to rescue us or to fix a situation. It's not going to turn out the way that you think it will, even if it turns out the way you want it to temporarily even, but long-term, the damage that it is doing is not worth the cost. And so that's just a big part of it is being able to be honest about the fact that this is not going to turn out the way that you think that it will. Yeah. And talking
0: to someone, perhaps,
1: mm-hmm. Yes. being
0: willing to confide, and mm-hmm. yeah, that I can uh, empathize that that definitely is not always an easy thing to do, but mm-hmm. um, an important one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Well, tell us about the difference between guarding our reputation and mm-hmm. controlling our reputation. Cause this is yet another. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Facet. So that's another, that's another area of our lives that we try to control is what people think about us. And that is such a painful, painful area. Again, it's, it's one that I, as a pastor have really had to wrestle with, In the last couple of years, because you make decisions that are disappointing to people or unpopular and people think all sorts of things about you and say all sorts of things about you. And it really, for me personally, one of the things that especially would get my goat was if people said I wasn't following scripture or that I was distracting from the gospel and because I, and I'm just being like really honest with your listeners right now. So this mm-hmm. is like my sin. I'm going to share my sin right now. <laughs> okay. So I, um, so because I, you know, I have an MDiv and then I have a PhD from a seminary. And so whenever people are accusing me of not following scripture, I'm like, oh, you want to go, let's go. Let's go on scripture, you know, <laughs> yeah. like you, you brought a knife to a gunfight. I, I will talk to you about scripture. I will show you all the scripture. So that's my, like, that's my sin response. That's my control response is wanting to defend my reputation and to, you know, control what, what people think of me. And what one of the things that is really tricky about it is that we are taught, you know, to to be people of honor and to have, you know, a good name because of your character. But I think we can get confused in understanding that what ultimately sets people free is not our names. It's the name of Jesus. And so at the end of the day, your name will pass away. And that was really, that was a huge clarifying reminder for me as someone in ministry is that my name is not getting anyone to heaven. My name is not breaking the chains of sin in somebody's life. And so if someone does not think well of me, but they're still good with Jesus, that is a win. And, and we see that in Philippians with, with Paul, where, you know, people are delighting in his imprisonment and, and speaking badly of him. And he's, he's saying, you know, what are, are they preaching the gospel? Okay, I'm good, you know? And so there, there's an extent to which we have to release our reputations instead of trying to control them because we simply cannot, Um, But this also is, is really hard when, you know, we're not talking about ministry, but maybe we're talking about someone who's going through a divorce, which I write about when, you know, you're going through a divorce and there's different narratives and maybe you feel blameless. But there's a different narrative that your friends are hearing where you're blamed for all these things and you're not able to defend yourself and that is really painful as well and we really have to trust and trust our names to God because again we just we can't make people think a certain way and we have to trust our character to prove itself over time and if we try to control, we will actually undermine that in the process. But it's it's so it's so painful. It's so hard to be in the middle of it and to want to defend yourself. It absolutely
0: is. Um, I think that's a really important distinction that you called out there, because I know I've struggled with similar types of of um feelings and it can it can become very overwhelming when you're trying to control what people are thinking about you because you just mm-hmm. can't you just can't. yes mm-hmm. yeah well in the last section of the cost of control mm-hmm. you cover the real power of god's promises mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is the most exciting promise that you cover mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I already mentioned that God doesn't give us control, but he does give us agency. And that is a, I would describe that. I'm going to use a theological term here that some people may know. And some people, would you say your audience, do they like theology or are they like into oh, it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes. yeah. So uh, like common, gr- it, it, common grace is kind of the phrase to you that I would describe agency where that's something that like everybody has. But the fact of the matter is even our agency, our influence in the world that God has given us has been broken by sin. And so that is why we can know the right thing that we should do instead of control, but we don't do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that is because of sin. And so the, the beautiful promise is, is that we do have the Holy spirit who intercedes on our behalf and, you know, helps us and, and helps us to do what we cannot do on our own. And it's by the power of the Holy spirit that we can bear the fruit of self control to, to help us do that. But the even better news than, than the Holy spirit is the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I realized really towards the very, very end of writing this whole book is when I, I initially, when I'd finished the book, I actually wrote the ending. I wrote a new ending after I turned it in the first time. And this is kind of a funny story. This is actually still in the book. I had ended with this story. (laughs) This tells you too, like, when you finish a book, you are running on fumes, and so you're like, I'm just gonna. Nobody reads the end. I'm just gonna <laughs> like get it in. I'm just gonna turn it to my editor. And so I used this illustration from Jurassic World, that movie. My kids were like really into it, and there's this really great scene where this this character says to the this other character, like, you need to just let go of control. And it was a great illustration. And so I kind of ended with this story, and my editor came back to me, and she was like. Is this is how you want to end your book. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: With Jurassic Worlds. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. This is not how I want to end my book. And so that story is still in there, but as I was just praying over it and you know, trying to search how how do you, where do I want to land? I had this wonderful realization and, and I love the symmetry of scripture. There's so many places in the Old Testament that correspond with the New Testament where Jesus is an answer to something that happened in the Old Testament. And I realized I spent this whole book meditating on this moment in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve had the option to either listen to the enemy or to trust God. And they chose to listen to the enemy. And we have been reenacting that again and again and again. We are doomed to essentially ever since. But you have this this scene in the life of Jesus where he is reenacting that exact same scene. He's in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the enemy once again with all these promises of power. And instead of reenacting it to its completion, he rewrites the ending of that story. He does what we cannot do. And that is so beautiful of being reminded that at the end of the day, there isn't, I can't fix this. I, none of us can, we will struggle with this to some degree forever, but thank goodness for Jesus Christ who rewrote the story that we could not. And that is the best news of all.
0: Absolutely. You know, you got to love editors that keep yes. us
1: <laughs> on track, right? It's You do not want to end with Jurassic World. <laughs> oh, no.
0: And and truly just pointing people back to Jesus. Yes.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, is what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Well, Sharon, what a delight to have talked to you. How can people find out more information about you and your book? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I'm most active, uh, on Instagram at Sharon H. Miller. And then I also just released a series of interviews, just digging deeper into these topics. They're all on my YouTube channel. So there's one with Jess Connolly on the cost of controlling your body. There's one with Derwin Gray on the cost of controlling your church. And then one with Beth Moore on the cost of controlling your image. And so if you want to dig deeper, those are really great resources as well.
0: those sound excellent all right they were really great oh before we go i'm going to check those out um i want to ask you just some of our favorite bible study uh questions Mm -hmm. what bible is your go-to that you use and which translation is it
1: so lately i have been using the csb translation but i'm also a really big fan of blueletterbible.org Just so that you can, and just comparing translations generally is really, really helpful because all translations are an interpretation, but CSB is my go-to. Excellent.
0: Do you have any favorite journaling supplies that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience?
1: I actually just got this CSB, or I don't know if it's Lifeway or who is created the csv but they actually just sent us this hefty bible that had it was leather bound and it had a ton of margin space and i think they sent it to my husband but i just stole it from him so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i'm actually really excited to use that because my current bible is falling apart and there's no room to write in the margins and i'm i really like to write in my bible I and then too. and then be able to read it later.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> not oh.
1: microscopic. Yeah.
0: Right, right. And just the accumulation of different thoughts and studies mm-hmm. and all those things over the time mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. amazing when you take notes like that. Um, okay. So you mentioned your, is it your favorite app would be
1: the, did you say Bible Hub? No, actually my favorite app is called Pray As You Go. Oh. Do you know that app? No, I don't. Okay. I love this app and I really wish I kind of want to write them a letter and ask them to rebrand it with a different name because it's a little bit deceptive. It's much more of a... If, if you're familiar with Lectio Divina, do you yes. know that? Yes. Yes. It's, it's closer to, for anyone who doesn't know, Lectio Divina is a prayer practice where you're reading scripture and then you're meditating on it. And so this app, it always starts out with music and they just pick the most perfect songs. I'll listen and just cry my eyes out. And then they'll read a passage of scripture And then they'll just ask a few contemplative questions about it. And it's always stuff that's so simple, but really profound. And so you'll reflect on that and you'll pray. And then they read through the passage one more time. And then that's the end. And it lasts only about 12 minutes, but it's a really great, you can listen to it in the car. You can listen to it when you're on a walk. Um, When you're brushing your teeth, you know, it's so short, but it has been such a wonderful oasis for me and it's quiet and it's just a different way of really soaking in scripture instead of just reading like a giant swath of it, but really going deeper into a a shorter passage. So I highly recommend Pray As You Go app. Excellent.
0: Wow. I'm going to have to check that out too. All right, well, Sharon, thank you so much for being here today to share about your book and how we can truly combat the negative effects of control by discovering the real power that God has given us through Jesus Christ. And for our listeners, pick up a copy of Sharon's book, The Cost of Control, You'll be able to find the link in our show notes and be sure to head over to our blog where you can also share your comments with us on this podcast. And lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. We also have two courses available on how to pray using our prayer journal and prayer binder. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all. Have a blessed day.